I'm Paul. And thank you for tuning in. So over the last couple of weeks, we've actually had um, a real surge in listeners. So thank you guys for tuning in. Um, and I think a lot of that is down to um, our recent guest, Robbie. Uh, Robbie Knox Robbie and Stories, Dan Stories as well. Dan Trophy, yeah. So here's a bit of a fact. So Robbie was our top performing podcast. And then uh, Robbie and Dan took that over. And then, so Robbie was number one. He overtook himself. And hey, then You put a bit of a challenge out, didn't you? Yeah. And then Robbie went back to the top. So Robbie replaced himself at the top. <laughs> several Can you times. replace yourself at the top? Yeah. yeah. Um, and then number three, uh, interestingly enough, is on May, um, who was our second guest on, on, the, uh, on the show and has a, an amazing story to tell. So if you've not listened to Anna or Robbie or Dan, then get listening. And I'm thinking today's guest... Uh, is definitely uh, in the running to take any of those spots. He answered the challenge. He answered the challenge. So, who's today's guest, Paul? It's the one and only Max Frosch. <laughs> Hello, guys. <laughs> Welcome. Hello. Bit, of, bit of competitive podcasting, I like it. <laughs> yeah, I think you can get to number one, you know. Oh, God, no, don't say that. No, if I don't, I'll be absolutely live with myself. <laughs> we, we need an angle somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's funny um, that you should play it quickly, but funny you should play that jingle because... That was actually, uh, and uh, I think Robbie talked a lot about music on his podcast, but that jingle was written by my year five saxophone teacher as part of the channel. (laughs) (laughs) When I I was first starting out, I needed a jingle and I was still friends on Facebook with one of my old teachers used to be my saxophone teacher. And he was always like really keen and really um, interested in what I was up to. And then I said, do you have any, like, can you write music for me? He was like, yeah, sure. What you after? And so after about back and forth, about five emails, that was the result. It's been immortalized on the channel. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you signed a release form for it. <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah, I hope you're not going to come after me for litigation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, so you're a fan of, of Robbie and Dan then? Yeah, I'm a big fan. Uh, I don't know much about Dan. I've been a fan of Robbie for a while. Um, it's kind of the YouTube sphere. It's kind of this kind of very incestuous relationship friendship group <laughs> that everyone knows everybody and like yeah. everyone kind of collaborates with everyone. So I've had the pleasure of walking with Robbie Knox a few times. Um, yeah. So yeah, lovely, lovely man. And the, the Happy Hour podcast as well. Of course, uh, yeah. In, in terms of that. So they, I mean, we describe those guys as YouTubers. Is YouTuber the right way to describe you? I think, yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the, the description that I like. I really hate influencer. Absolutely yeah. despise it. <laughs> because I feel, first of all, I haven't been to Dubai in years. Um, and <laughs> secondly, I just don't, I, maybe, maybe I'm just kind of being naive, but I honestly don't think I could influence anybody to do anything. Um, if, some, if I just suddenly started promoting some skincare on my Instagram stories, people would honestly tell me to jog on. So, yeah, YouTube <laughs> is a nice way of doing it. For, the, for kind of like my mum's friends, my mum and dad's friends, I'm more of a content creator because it's, 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 yeah. it's a scary enough word for them not to ask any more questions. Um, so that's how I get out of that. But, yeah, YouTube is a, is a, great, is a great description. Yeah, yeah. So you're not kind of selling out. You're, you're just creating your own stuff and having a load of fun around yeah, it. Yeah, still what I like. <laughs> so how long have you actually been making videos i have been making i mean the first time i made a video i think i was probably 13 or 14 and um i had an older sister who i just absolutely adored and thought was the coolest person on planet earth and she, she had is. this I've, I've seen her in your videos. yeah she's she's, cool. she's popped up a few <laughs> times in the videos that she's yeah. absolutely great but when i was growing up she was kind of like my idol and she had a birthday party that um my mum basically because it was at our house I was forced to be invited to the birthday party. So I just got very excited. And I just basically took loads of pictures and then made a uh, kind of a, a, I think it was honestly made on PowerPoint, but a PowerPoint slideshow of all of the guests at the party. And that was kind of my first video. I remember spending hours on it. I'm not sure how I could have spent hours on it when it was a PowerPoint presentation, but I I did. Um, There is definitely ways you can spend hours on PowerPoint. (laughs) I was getting all of the intros, all the effects. Um, (laughs) So that was the first, I think that was the first time I ever used a computer to make a video. And that was probably when I was 13 or 14. So 2009 um and but i've been doing youtube uh probably since september 2017 so kind of three and a half years now yeah we've, we've spoken to quite a few youtubers uh on our podcast um and 
I think the general thing is, is you've just got to keep at it, haven't you? So, you know, don't expect instant success. Don't expect hundreds of thousands of subscribers. You've just got to keep going really until you you kind of build up a a back catalogue. Is that how you found your career has gone so far? A hundred percent. I mean, because social media, to get get very serious and technical about social media, um, (laughs) I feel that social media, because it's a platform where you can literally type in anything and watch a video about literally anything within the few clicks of a button, that immediacy kind of people associate with kind of work on YouTube as well. So they assume that being a content creator, that immediacy is exactly the same. So all it needs is just uploading a video and then you're, you're ready to go. When in fact, you need to, first of all, you need to learn what you're doing. You need to learn how to kind of make an audience want to watch um, a video. Um, so yeah, I think it, do, it does take a while and it just takes constant uploading and mainly that the reason for that is because you then understand what is good and what is not and what people want to watch i think that's the main thing because people spend so much time on a video there's this kind of ego thing where it's like well i spent loads of time making this therefore loads of people should watch it because i spent ages on it when actuality in actuality people don't really care about you so you've kind of got to make something that that people want to watch so i think that does take a while to understand as a concept yeah do you fall into that category of people that um, get a little bit sort of downtrodden if, if like, you know, your your current video is like, you know, 10 of 10? <laughs> oh, no, not or, the 10 or, of or 10. Or do, do you just not care? Or... No, I'd love to, I would love to sit here and just be really kind of like cool. Nah, Paul, I don't care. <laughs> I, who, what? You can see the analytics? No, but <laughs> I, I have to say I really do care. And it is something that I hate about YouTube and I hate about that element of – it is a major part of the job, um, yeah. not just kind of from a vanity point of view, but just to find out what what works and for you to keep growing your quote unquote business. So yeah, it really does hurt because especially when you're making a video, you spend so much time on it. So every video I make, I think is the best video I've ever done, but only after a couple of months can I step back and think, that was a bad decision. Why did I make that? And so that's happened on a few occasions. Um, but no, I do I do find myself looking at YouTube Studio pretty quickly after the video's gone <laughs> up to see where it's placing, unfortunately. It's gotta be a level of like complete angst, doesn't it? Yeah, like... it really, it really is. And no matter how many times you can say, like, oh, it doesn't matter, release from the process, like, do you know what? The video's up, it doesn't matter what happens, happens. Like you can say that until the cows come home, but honestly, I am like a rabbit <laughs> with the little kind of <laughs> cocaine button. I wanna I wanna more, 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 more. It just out of interest, how many subscribers do you have just to raise that? Anxiety level. A oh, bit. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, no, I have. Um, uh, I checked. No, I've got three hundred and fifty thousand subscribers. Um, wow, when we are recording this, I'm sure it's yeah. going to go down in the next couple. Of weeks. No, it's <laughs> definitely going up. We've got seven. Yeah. <laughs> Make well, that eight, guys. <laughs> well, we, we've got um, our house originally started as. Um, a tv show in our house that's why it's called our house and we had like live bands and stuff that youtube's got like 950 something like so it's not too bad <laughs> yeah yeah we we do always have this discussion with guests just well like on occasion don't we just yeah. to kind of i think i think our, our youtube we, we were too early for youtube weren't yeah, we yeah yeah, yeah when we did were you guys of, start when did you guys start uploading so we were like 2007 or 8 when and and that was at a time where it was really difficult to get people to actually go on youtube and watch and also you couldn't upload a video that was any more than say 10 or 15 minutes it had a 10 minute limit so we we used to produce a show from the house it was like a 45 minute show um and we had to host it on our web servers and you know the web servers broke didn't they like loads of times but um the transition to youtube just didn't really so you guys were we like, all, really we, like we, the trailblazers in the YouTube like, <laughs> like, kind of went oh. me, me at the and then our house kind of like the first ever YouTube video then our house just side by side we just missed the boat on uh, yeah. monetization and that's yeah it yeah yeah it was it was a but the thing was it, it was good fun doing it wasn't it yeah. but it was like a proper full-on production wasn't yeah. it I mean it, you know it used to take it used to take a year, didn't it, to get a series yeah, together? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, from start to finish, yeah, yeah easily. Because we we had to we we were our own cameras, editors, 
organizing Sound absolutely videos, everything bookers, and it, it yeah. was just like a tv show a little bit like you know tfi friday mm-hmm. if you ever saw that from back in the day and yeah, chris evans the word that type <laughs> yeah but it was just all based in a house so yeah. ripped off from big breakfast what were you what were you editing on like that um we, i think we started on premiere didn't we and then we went to final cut yeah god i mean when did, yeah, they, so, when did, they, when did those kind of start becoming a thing I mean, oh, they were expensive around, yeah. then, weren't they? Yeah. As well, yeah. Um, so I think I think in the first season we were editing on Premiere on a PC, and, and I think we also bought a Mac in between that with yeah. Final Cut Express, not Pro. Yeah, couldn't afford <laughs> Pro back then. Um, yeah, so we, we, we were doing like, and the thing was, we were filming bands, um, and to get the camera angles, we would we would have to get the bands to, to do the same song maybe three times. So we had six camera angles. Oh. And obviously they, they would have to try and remember what they were doing within this room. So it was, it, it was just, it was, it was guerrilla filmmaking or TV <laughs> show making at its best. Um, and it, cause there's loads of shots in some, some of the things, isn't there, where you, you've got like a, a studio full of people and then all of a sudden for a split second, you'll see me in the background with the camera and then I'll disappear <laughs> in the next shot. Um, so yeah, so we, we were there at the start of the YouTube kind of generation. We just uh, yeah, we just got old and didn't didn't, <laughs> didn't really do. <laughs> um, yeah. So we, you know, so that that was kind of like that was our niche. Um, and as you mentioned, you know, you you kind of have to experiment to find out what yours is. Um, especially now that you can look at your analytics and find out what people do want to watch and what they don't want to watch. Um, and you've got several brands as well. Um, so what do you? At what point did you think, yeah, this is what people want to watch? You know, like, was there anything specific that stood out? Um, I seem so. I mean, I started the the reason I like the first started making videos was because I was in radio. I was doing like hospital radio and stuff like that, and I was coming towards the end of my university career. And I want. I was obsessed with this idea about getting an agent, Um, like because I thought that if you had an agent, you therefore were whatever you said you were like legitimize you being whatever you wanted to be so i thought if i can get an agent then i can say i'm a presenter i'm a radio presenter i'm a tv presenter and so i'd done all the radio stuff and i'd I'd kind of entered into awards and i realized i wanted to get some footage for like a tv reel like a show reel um and so there was a, there was a universe. I was at New, U- Newcastle University, and there was a uh, a TV society at the university, and they were doing these like night out interviews with people on a night out. Um, and I remember applying, saying, "Can I be part of the group?" And they were like, "No, sorry, we've got our presenters. Thanks." And I remember watching them and thinking they were like fifteen minutes long on YouTube, and I would find myself get quite bored after like three minutes. Mm. And I thought, "Well, h- hold on, there's." I, I feel like there is like a real opportunity here because there was two things the, the filming students on a night out at a university town was not a new idea. And so like when I first started with street smart, I do not want to claim in any way that it was a new and groundbreaking idea, but I just thought that the, the way that these things were being formulated, um, they were too long. Like the intro, for example, would be 60 seconds of like the presenter like saying who they were and where they're from. And I thought yeah. that uh, like that, I don't care about that. I want to find, I want to see the funny stuff. So I thought, I swear this could be better if it was condensed into three minutes. And so I then looked into the legalities of filming and they were like, yeah, it's a public place, go for it. So I first started putting the stuff on Facebook and to go back to the question, Claire, is when did I realize people started watching it? I posted my first video and it was outside a nightclub in Newcastle. And actually, a lot of the people in the video, my first ever video, were my housemates at the time because I knew that they would come and t- talk to me on the night out. So I arranged myself to stand near their, I don't know, their kind of sports social. Um, and I posted I edited it and posted it. And then there was loads of comments just tagging other people, not necessarily um, my housemates who were in the video, but people who maybe fancied my housemates or were in lectures with my housemates. <laughs> and it'd be like, oh my God, look, it's that boy from geography. Or, oh my God, look, it's that guy you really fancy. So that's when I kind of realized, like within the sphere of Newcastle, like I'm like completely not even thinking about putting this out to the wider world or that anyone would really care. But I realized, hold on, there is this kind of, need especially in the university environments to 
talk about somebody that you either fancy or you know of or your friends are constantly gossiping about. So that's where the first kind of growth from Street Smart came. It was purely like a, a gossip column, like what someone had said stupidly on a night out two days previously. Um, and so I put all my stuff on Facebook initially because that's where like I just found my kind of like quote unquote success and I was getting a couple of hundred views on Facebook and so I just kind of for a year I just churned them out um in the meantime I was putting them also on YouTube but that was when I realized okay well maybe I can do this like maybe this is something that I'm relatively okay at um so I think kind of from the get-go from when I was making Street Smart as it is now I kind of realized oh this is a format that people will like to watch and I can make quite quickly um, but then obviously the channel has changed so much that since then, and I've just kind of come up with new brands left, right and center, um, just when I'm bored, I'm like, oh, that'll do. Um, so it's been, it's, yeah, it's, it's very much changed and formed over time. What I've realized that people like to watch. Yeah. I, I love street smart. So for anyone that Fox may, pops classic, yeah, mm. if, for anyone that might not have seen it. Um, just give them a brief overview because I yeah. think it's brilliant. So Street Smart is a series, uh, a man on the street interview series, Vox Pops, in which I, I mean, I initially started going outside, standing outside nightclubs in Newcastle, a city um, very well known for its hedonistic lifestyle culture, um, <laughs> nightstyle, nightlife culture. Um, and so it's basically me standing on the streets talking about a certain topic. So I'll talk about, I don't know, ghosts or tattoos or conspiracy theories. And they're three or four minute, very pithy, very silly Vox Pops that is just kind of like bubble gum for the brain. Um, and I've then kind of grown it to go to now events. So I did one at Wimbledon. I did one um, at Henley, the rowing regatta in the summer. So it's they've slightly grown into something a little bit more structured than just kind of walking up to someone who's had 10 VKs and asking them whether they think dreams are real. Um, there's been a little <laughs> bit more thought, thought process behind it, but not much, if I'm brutally honest. I remember watching one one of them. I think it was the Wimbledon one, and I thought, how cool would this be, like, if Max took it to like a wrestling convention oh, or you know, you know, yeah. like a God. just an event, just an event because wrestling fans. They're so passionate, aren't they? Yeah. Like you'd, you'd have you'd strike gold. Yeah, God, if you can get me with any tickets into a wrestling convention, I am there. I'm pretty much we can. Well, I'm pretty sure what? we can like, sort some out. Um, we had YouTuber the boy John on, didn't we? And he wants to do a. Um, he wants to train to be a wrestler um, for his show. <laughs> so maybe we could integrate. So you could like. <laughs> this is this is how we're building new content for our new <laughs> yeah. YouTube channel. Um, so we, we think we're going to try and get him to do some training, don't we? Yeah. I was also thinking of maybe getting Robbie involved in that and Robbie will get, him to have a, get, him to have, get him to have a match or something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then you can kind of interview all of the uh, very passionate fans at Wrestlers. <laughs> oh, I bet they are. <laughs> As we're all walking away. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so, so Street Smart, I, I guess, then took you to a higher level. And like you said, you, you've kind of adapted and introduced other brands and mm. um, so another like favorite of mine is unconventional so mm. tell us a little bit about unconventional yeah so I've I found myself like doing these videos that streets mine to me on the street and kind of the, the formula became very like simple after I made like 25 it was like I say something I ask simple question I get silly answer in response and then I give some sort of pithy one line reply and so I realized that it was just kind of every once you'd watched like four or five street smart videos you'd watch them all like there wasn't yeah. that much to differentiate them all and so then I wanted to kind of like push myself and to go into longer form longer form content so street smarts are three or four minutes and then but then I want to go into the 10 minutes and actually tell a story um, because I didn't want to kind of go to an event and just make a 10 minute long street smart. So I want to change it up. So now the take it, I mean, having already taken the Vox Pop style, I then thought I'd take something else completely blatantly of just kind of going to weird conventions, which is exactly what I did. So I went to weird and wonderful places in the UK. So I went to the World Conquer Championships uh, the world wife carrying championships, uh, a metal detecting convention. And I just basically chatted and understood more about whatever the topic was. And the point of that wasn't to stand there and to be like, oh my God, look how weird these people are who love to go metal detecting. Because I thought that that was, it was, it was an easy pot shot and it wouldn't come yeah. off well. I didn't want to do that myself. No. I wanted to actually get involved and understand why these people did like why was someone standing in the rain for seven hours with a metal detector 
like in the freezing cold. Why is someone drawn to doing that? So the idea about unconventional was just kind of getting involved. And I found literally with every single unconventional I've done, I have left the convention absolutely loving whatever I've just been doing. So like, um, I did drag. I went to a drag convention, was made into a drag queen, and absolutely yeah. loved that. I thought it was great fun. <laughs> that was um, cool. And I'm still in touch with the people I met at that convention. So it's it was a it was essentially just a free pass for me to go to weird things, but also film it. So that yeah. was that's kind of the, how it started. Yeah, I think it's it's good, like you say, that you you kind of got involved because it it could be quite easy to go to these things and you know laugh and you know take the mickey a little bit and it's great that you went in there just to get involved yeah and show that that side of things i saw the um the adult video or the adult one that that was yeah that was kind of like diff that was me kind of like taking things up a notch me going to the the adult video network convention which is uh, in layman's terms a porn convention Um, but it's like I, I mentioned Donna May earlier on. She's like our third uh, highest podcast, and she's a, an adult superstar um, who I've known for many, many years. And I had these preconceptions of you know adult entertainment until I met her, and my opinions completely changed. So, would you say that happens to you when you go to these conventions? Your opinion is just kind of flipped. Yeah, from I think. Yeah, your opinion is definitely flipped when you go to these conventions. But I have to say, actually, not at the porn convention that I went to. Um, it was really, I found it a really sad, not not uh, like a not like a you're a yeah. loser, but a really just it wasn't upsetting a environment. Thing. No, it, I didn't find it a particularly empowering environment. I just felt very upset about what was what was kind of happening there. Um, yeah. I think that I'm the reason I went there is because I saw it was it was actually this time last year. Kind of, I'd always wanted to go to one of these um, because it was kind of like in back in kind of 2010. YouTube a guy called Kasim G um, used to do these vox pops in in California, and I was a big fan of his. And he always used to went he always used to go to AVN, and he would go for like five years in a row and would interview the same people and then would kind of get this rapport. So this time last year, I was looking into when it was that for 2020 and found it was in literally three weeks time and I think I'd just done a brand deal so I had a little bit of money in the kind of the the video kitty and so just bought like a flight the cheapest flight to Las Vegas for three days to go and film this thing like I didn't have a cameraman I didn't have anything so it was a bit like I was really pushing myself out of my comfort zone by flying to Vegas by myself going to an adult video convention by myself with no one to film it so I think I was already in the deep end anyway and then to throw a topic that's that's quite uh it's it was it was quite kind of eye-opening was 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 quite interesting yeah I'm sure I remember you mentioning something on Jack's podcast about just feeling that there was like a there was there was kind of an urgency or or the, the people changed their attitudes very quickly before you you know between you filming and and or before you filmed and then pressing record, yeah, and they changed into completely different characters. I, I I met. Um, do you guys know who I mean by when I say Vitali? Vitali. Vitali. He was this. He was kind of like a YouTube. He was like one of the first like big YouTube pranksters. Um, and he was called this guy called Vitali ZHD, I think. And he um, kind of had a bit of a rise and fall on the YouTube platform because it all got too much too quickly. Anyway, he's now gone into the adult entertainment industry and I saw him there. And like he has he's like made a lot of like YouTube headlines Like he he got someone to streak at the Champions League final a couple of years ago. Um, with his like logo on it anyway this guy he's, he's a bit of a he's a bit of a character anyway I saw him at this convention and I thought I've, I've got to get an interview I've got to I walked up to him and I was like hi Vitaly can I grab you for a quick interview and his first question was how many subscribers do you have right so that was, wow. that was his first question now so I was wondering whether he was saying that because if I didn't have a certain amount of subscribers then he wouldn't want to talk to me so I said um I've got I've got 110,000 subscribers and and I then I said, is that enough? And he said, yeah, of course that's enough. Why are you asking me whether that's enough? Like, what are you talking about? And then got really aggressive towards me. So I was wow. immediately incredibly flustered. Um, and then I, ha- I have what can only be described as the biggest car crash of an interview. 
he was obviously on so much cocaine because his jaw, <laughs> his jaw was allegedly, swimming. Allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, allegedly. Sorry, yes. He was allegedly on a lot of um, narcotics. Sorry, I do not want to be attacked by Tali's boy. But yeah, he was allegedly on all these, on, on kind of all these substances. And he was so erratic. And it, he had, he, oh, this is another thing. We were about to film. So I, I, I'd asked him, he's like, yeah, let's do the interview now. We need to do it right now. But then he realized that he didn't have his entourage of um, girls around him. So he, he forcibly put his hand on the microphone and said, stop. So I stopped like the obedient dog that I am. And he like, literally <laughs> called out across the hall, like random kind of women's names. And they flocked like the Avengers. Oh, my um, God. And, really? and then flanked alongside him. And he was like, okay, now we can do the interview. And I mean, it's it's about it was about a thirty second long interview, and I kept all of it in the video, and it is utter it's an utter car crash. Um, <laughs> but it kind of totally encapsulated my feeling at the time, which was just totally being overwhelmed and being a little bit upset. Oh, so would you say that's kind of the worst position you've been put in, or have you had any? Uh, yeah, more, I think that's been like the most uncomfortable I've been for a video, especially when like. I'd flown all the way to Vegas. I'd spent so much money on just getting there that I thought if I don't get a video out of this, it's going to be completely for nothing. So that was when I like, I'd normally don't get anxiety or like nerves before making a video or interviewing people. But then I was really nervous because I thought I've got to, I've got to come out of, I've got to come out of this hotel lobby with something. So let's just go for it. And no sightings of Kasim anywhere? No signs of Kasim. I was absolutely no. gutted. I think he's slightly he's slightly gone off into the abyss and he's I think I don't I'm not sure what he's doing now, but no, I was I was desperate to see him. But do you guys know who I mean when I say Kasim G? Yeah, we I, I used to watch him. Did did he also do the um did he have something to do with that YouTube channel where they used to sit on um on the beach? Yes. Yeah, he he did like he did, what, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, that's that was him. Do you remember? Uh, yeah. And they used to do like little voiceovers for yeah, people yeah, yeah. walking past yeah, and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he was one of the kind of the one of the first YouTubers in the sense of the word that we know it now that I remember watching mm. this probably when I was like 2011. Um, so I mean, th- three, you were, you were old hats by that point. <laughs> yeah, 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 we were, Thanks. but we, we used to watch that. I mean, that's sort of like Ray William Johnson era, isn't oh, it? Yeah, and, yeah, and, and that type of thing. But we used to watch the um, the stuff they did on on the beach. That was that was really cool stuff. Yeah. And, yeah. and I'm sure I'm sure we reached out to them. Yeah. <laughs> so you you did loads of unconventionals, and obviously, if, if that was your most awkward point, um, what was your what was your highlight of the conventions? Which has been your favourite so far? I think I, I really think it was the metal detecting convention, um, oh, because wow. that was the first one I filmed, um, and it was like it perfectly encapsulated what I want to come across in the video, which was, I want this to be an experience that I enjoy and that I can say that I enjoyed it, not just for the video, but I genuinely, they, they were so well, they were so excited to have somebody who wasn't in the metal detecting world to come and talk about metal or just to find out about metal detecting. Yeah. Um, and so I was given these kind of like two chaperones who were these young lads who just loved metal detecting. I've never, I've never <laughs> seen people passionate about anything in my whole life. Um, and they just kind of took me under their wing. We spent two or three hours out in the field. And it was very, all the buzz was because the, the day previously, um, a couple of detectives had found a hall worth about £150,000 of old Roman. That was the big bulldozer in the video, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, the big bulldozer. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Like, wow. It was a real sense of trepidation in the air that, hey, there could be some more. And so um, whenever I got a beep on the metal detector, I was absolutely buzzing. It turned out to be a nail or a shotgun or whatever, shotgun cartridge. Uh, bloody yeah, funny, a shotgun, that'd be interesting. <laughs> um, but no, it was, I didn't find anything of, of use, but it was such fun. It had a sense of community that oh, it really, you know, you know yeah. like I, I watched that and thought probably a similar thing. Like I think I went into watching it as if, oh, this this is going to be full of like nerds and, and, and weirdos and stuff. Yeah. But then I thought actually, I'd give that a crack. At, you know, like you were sort of bored yeah. and and go and give it a try. I learned something I really interesting. Sorry, Claire, I learned something really That's interesting right. about coroners. So coroners are like the guys, you know, they check whether a body is a body or something. They they deal with kind of dead people, the coroners. But apparently their other job, their only other job is to do with the Treasure Act. Now, I didn't know this was a thing. There's an actual law called the Treasure Act, which is when they find 
something that is seems to be worth a lot of money, the coroner will come down to the site and declare whether it is worth treasure or not. And then if it is treasure, then it has all sorts of laws applied to it. And if it's not, then it's just, I think, a finding. But I love this idea that this, this guy, woman or man will have to turn up and look on the ground and be like, yep, that's treasure. Um, so that's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's such a small quirk of kind of English county councils. And if you find it, is it yours? So 50% goes to the landowner, 50%. Okay. And they didn't do anything. They just had it on their land. <laughs> Max yeah. was digging up the car park. Yeah, well, not the car park, the, the, park. the main field. <laughs> I got a beep in the, in the field literally just outside. I, they, they told me I wasn't allowed to dig. And I was, I'm still to this day thinking that oh, there was a hole down there. <laughs> I know when some, here's something maybe you could look into because it's something that Paul got interested in was magnet fishing. Oh gosh, oh, so yeah. that's <laughs> yeah. a bridge. That's cool. I went down I went down a rabbit hole with that, didn't I? And I started <laughs> to buy the kit and then I was like, oh, I'm not gonna do this because the river near us it, it's just full of shopping trolleys. <laughs> but you never know. Well, well yeah, know. I, I have I have seen some that. good finds on YouTube, you know, there's there's been some some good stuff. Yes. Guns, guns and crime, crime paraphernalia. <laughs> Just finding crime. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, have a look for, for some uh, magnet fishers. Yeah, that would be a great video. I need to find someone who's relatively like, <laughs> like into it. I mean, one thing that I am looking at at the moment, I'm looking to find a, a bunch of nudists who will help let me film um, a video of Unconventional. Because um, I think nudists is my next kind of big port of call. Do you feel like you could join in? Well, I think I'm, I feel like I'm going to have to. I'm going to absolutely have to, which means that two things. One, one is that I'm definitely going to have to edit that video, number one. <laughs> <laughs> number two, the diff, more difficult thing is trying to find a cameraman that I try. It's going to do it. Or, yeah, who will do it. <laughs> so kind of, I've been g- g- calling around various people I know. It's like, how do you feel about nudity? <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you, I'm glad you mentioned that, actually, because uh, I know we see you on camera. Um is there someone behind the camera? Is there someone else that's a part of your success? There is. I mean, it's changed over the years, but for it, mainly it was a friend of mine called Coco, and she and I met at university, and she was the one who films probably 85% of all the videos, the Street Smart videos, whilst at university. Um, and she was just a friend of mine that I did drama with at uni, and She's actually in, um, when I did, uh, when I first started working, making videos with Zach and Jay, she's in the video in which we gate crash London Fashion Week because like we were just there and she was hanging out. So she was, um, she worked with me slash, yeah, she worked with me for about a year and a half on the Street Smart stuff. And then Zach and Jay actually offered her a job. So she now works for them. Mm. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Poached. So, yeah, she, she slightly <laughs> got poached from it. Um, but yeah, Zach and Jay are the uh, the the um, kind of responsible for taking away my my camera woman Coco. Um, but she's yeah. But now I kind of use kind of all sorts. I actually mainly I like to use kind of students and um, like media students because they're mainly the most keen to get involved. Um, and like my film, filming doesn't require much expertise rather than just kind of like pressing play. And so I'd much rather someone who's really keen to get involved and to, to get stuck in than somebody who kind of lets you down quite a lot. So now I just kind of have a bit of a roster of uni students. Nice. We had a uni student on our house doing, oh, doing our cameras. And, uh, was it Robert? <laughs> no. no. Everything oh, he shot no. was out of focus. I wish it was. <laughs> Everything out of focus, oh, wasn't no, it? This guy is <laughs> yeah, the risk yeah. you run. <laughs> It is, but, it, it but I questioned him on it, and he just didn't—he didn't see it. I was like, "You need to get your eyes tested, dude." And uh, we've, we've got actually got videos out there, haven't we? Yeah. Which we just, we make, just we call it. Look arty, we just like. call it Ben Cam. Yeah. But yeah. So yeah. But media students generally are, are like really up for it and stuff like that. So that's good. And and we. I saw a video recently um, that I really want to talk to you about, and I, I think you used maybe a, a media student in that or a friend, which was your Radio 1 video. Yes. Um, so tell us, for, again, for someone that's maybe not seen that video, tell us about that and the inspiration behind it. So I think the main thing that I like to talk about when I come, like people say, oh, what's your inspiration behind a certain video? My inspiration is honestly taking a video that already exists or something that already exists and changing it slightly for, for my whatever, for whatever I, for my purpose. Um, and I feel like on a slight tangent, people when they're starting YouTube get so wrapped up with 
trying to come up with the most unique idea that in fact isn't really necessary you can take something that already exists and slightly tweak it so that's actually where a lot of my video ideas come from um like i just did one recently where i became an amazon bestseller by using my friend's whatsapp messages and that came up because i watched a video of someone doing it with a blank book so i thought well how can i change this so the radio one video was um i remembered i was always i was thinking of like crazy marketing viral stunts and i remembered in the 2008 crash this guy bought a billboard for 500 quid which was like hire me, hire sam.co.uk or something like that. I remember it getting a lot of press and he actually ended up getting a job. And so I thought, well, that's, that's been, that was quite a while ago. No one probably remembers that. So can I kind of do that again in a new way? And so well, where do I want to work? Well, I kind of want to, want to do two things. I want to kind of do some stand up at the Shepherd's Bush Empire and also work for Radio One in some capacity. So, well, uh, let's just go for the Radio One thing. And I was like, well, what do I have at my disposal? I've got my car. Um, and so that's where the idea came from. So then I literally just looked up the, the a company that made the biggest stickers possible. I didn't even know whether it was going to work on my car or not. Luckily, when I got there, they're like, yeah, that's fine. That's no problem. Um, and so I, that's that's the inspiration behind the video. And I just stuck my CV on my car and then parked it outside Radio 1 and just sat by it on the yellow line until the traffic warden came. But luckily, none, <laughs> none did. And so was the ultimate goal of the the video to have the video go viral or is it to get a job? I think a little bit of both, actually. I think that if Radio 1 come to me and I'd love to work at Radio 1, absolutely would love to. But if it meant me kind of foregoing all of my YouTube stuff, then I probably wouldn't do it, if that makes sense. So if they turn to me yeah. and said, yeah. like, be a producer full time, like, I probably <laughs> won't do that because I won't be able to do my YouTube. Um, so, yeah, I'd absolutely love to work with them in some capacity. And I think that it just kind of struck a chord with kind of a community of people, especially right now, that are really looking to try and to get a job in some way. So um, the, the, the aim of the video wasn't to be like, I'm a YouTuber and I've spent all this money on kind of doing this and therefore I should get a job. It was to hopefully show just by putting a little bit of effort into something, yeah. you can gain the attention or get the attention of, um, of whoever you want to. Um, and the, I mean... Has it worked? I mean, I they've spoken to me a few times, but they've ver- they've been very non-committal about the whole thing, which is either <laughs> really good or really bad. So they're very much left me on red. Yeah. See, Alex Hayden Jones replied to you, didn't he? he did. So yeah, have you, have you said, yeah, I was going to say, did you speak to him directly after that? Yeah, I got I got a call go? from an unknown. It said a caller ID withheld. So I thought, here we bloody go. This is always that's always exciting when you get that. Um, so I kind of picked it up and he's like, hi, Matt, this is Alan Hayden Jones. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Hello. Um, and he was like, yeah, I really, really liked what you did. What he did tell me, I'm not really sure whether I'm supposed to be saying this, but oh well, he did say that, um, a lot of people within the BBC didn't want him to send like the video out that he did, or he didn't, they didn't want him to contact me because they said that it would encourage similar behavior um uh-huh. so he did, t- did tell me that and told me not to encourage people to do it and i was like don't worry alid i don't want anyone else taking the job so i won't be doing yeah. that um but yeah we had a chat for about 15 minutes we spoke about what i was doing what they wanted what i wanted out of a radio one job because he said do you want to be a presenter on, on the air and i was like I mean, that would be amazing, but I know I'm not qualified enough to be able to do that. I know that I would be able to, however, do Vox Pops and make social content. So that's what I was really gunning for. And they said, great, well, as soon as stuff gets reopened again after post-COVID, then jump on in and we'll, we'll get you involved. I thought he was going for Charlie Sloth's job. <laughs> yeah, I could see I could hear that. Yeah, fire in the booth, just with yeah. a funny RP accent. It'd be amazing, that. <laughs> I, think, I think there's something there. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, well, fingers crossed. Post COVID, then yeah, uh, when things return to normal, something comes out of it. I mean, I can I, definitely... I, yeah, I don't know. I'm, to be fair though, I'm, I'm happy because the video's done so well. So yeah. I'm kind of like, oh, I've, I've got what I wanted from the from from it. Um, if anything else comes out of it, that's an absolute bonus. Yeah, it's a bonus, isn't it? We we used to do a CV section on this show just when we were talking to like whether it was YouTubers or um, or on stars or whatever you want to um and we used to ask them certain questions because we both worked in recruitment so we're always interested in what (laughs) what how would you describe your or what would you say in your personal profile on your cv 
is that is that like about you is that when people kind of throw as many buzzwords into that as possible oh yeah that i hate that's 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 (laughs) what people do and that's the wrong thing to do but yeah if if you were going to say max fosh personal profile how do you think it would read? So if I was going to go for the really cliche, like, let's use all the buzzwords, I'd say <laughs> Max Fosh yeah. is an energetic and... Um, <laughs> motivated. Mo- yeah, energetic and motivated content Stop creator. It. <laughs> based in West London. His desire for entertaining social content... There we go, that's a great one. Um, that's a good one. His, his desire to create entertaining social content has shown him to take it into all different places. I think that's what I do. But what I'm actually trying to say is I'm just a bloke who likes to make silly videos. <laughs> <laughs> that's honest. I like that. <laughs> top three skills. Um, my top three skills. Oh, God. I did actually put... Um, <laughs> I put that I was a, 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 scuba, a scuba diver trained diver, which just someone said, did you do that as a joke? I was like, no, I'm actually really proud of that. So that is <laughs> that was on the uh, CV that I gave to Radio 1. Um, my top three skills are probably video editing is the main one. Um, but I feel like kind of millennials and Gen Z is just this big army of video editors now. Um, so I'm a video editor. Uh, what else can I do? Um, uh, I'm good with conflict. There you go. That's another part of the there. <laughs> Um, conflict management conflict management <laughs> and um, like tenacious there you go <laughs> those weren't those weren't Hobbies. skills were they <laughs> i don't know i've seen worse skills on 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 a cv um hobbies and interest outside of work oh cricket Ooh. and musical theater <laughs> oh, excellent nice. a very bizarre combo that rarely have mixed <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's something that you can combine. Yeah, <laughs> and that would be. That would would be you great. Go with that, I mean, after I do my stand-up show, <laughs> that I'm going to be writing a musical based on a cricket pitch. Like I said, I wanted to talk to you about another video. And this was this was my introduction to you, Max. This was the okay. first video I saw of yours, um, which made me then you know go through everything else. Um, so it was your roundabout? Oh, okay, um, good, good. It's nice to see we got we got some a new a new subscriber to was, the channel. Okay. Yeah, that that was my first uh, vision of Max Fosh, which took me down the Max Fosh oh, the rabbit wormhole. Hole. Of, yeah, the rabbit hole of everything, and um, to become a fan of it. So, um, what what made you do that? Yeah, <laughs> like Claire, it's just so simple. I was driving in a car. I saw a roundabout that was like this has been sponsored by Paul McCarthy Plumbing. Uh, and I thought, how the hell do I get myself one of them? Um, and just did a bit of digging. And they are so expensive. I mean, for those of you who haven't watched the video, a roundabout, like a, just your bog stand roundabout in a county miles from London for a year, it costs about three and a half grand to have your own little plaque put on there um, with, your, with your company logo. And I thought, I do not have that kind of money to, to spend essentially on a joke. Um, and so I, did, I eventually that, that video got put on hold for ages because I just couldn't think of a way in which I could get to my, buy myself a roundabout without having to pay three and a half thousand pounds. Um, and then someone gave us just a brilliant suggestion of why not I just talk to the parish councils because they'll be just kind of like, they'll be really keen for cash. Um, and so that's my idea. <laughs> I just phoned up loads of parish councils. And this is the, this is a problem I find with most of my videos. I have to find my I find myself having to kind of like give this pitch that makes it sound like as normal as possible when the idea is absolutely crackers. Like calling up a parish council in Gloucestershire and saying, "Hi guys, I would like to buy one of your roundabouts for five hundred pounds," and then saying. But okay, but but why? Is that, but don't ask that question. <laughs> Are you going to give it to me or not? So yeah, I went to a parish council and I was like, "I'll give you five hundred quid if you let me quote unquote buy a roundabout." When in actual fact, they've just let me put a plaque in the ground on their roundabout. Um, and so yeah, the lovely town of Sillington in Gloucestershire um, is the home of the swings and roundabout. So you don't actually own the land. No, you just Claire, you've got that a, why are you raining on the parade, Claire? Come on. <laughs> There's a plaque there. Yeah. All right, it's enough. Right. Well, Have I mean, you got a plaque on a roundabout? No, I've not, but I believe it keeps getting stolen. It right? does. It does. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair to Claire, there is actually nothing there to know that is a roundabout, but it belongs to me. I mean, there's a number of things, Claire, that I kind of lied about in the video. One, yes, I don't technically own the roundabout. I've been for a year. Secondly, right. secondly, it's not even 
even a roundabout. <laughs> it is <laughs> it is a verge for habitat, which basically means like a yeah, triangle, it's a little toga roam square <laughs> in in a junction. So um, <laughs> yeah, it actually isn't a roundabout, and I don't actually own it, and my plaque keeps getting stolen. So yeah, there's, there's a whole myriad of issues wrong with it. But hey, you could put anything in a YouTube page, and people will buy it. But you had an, uh, an amazing opening ceremony, though, didn't oh, you? Oh, <laughs> opening ceremony, got the bunting. Oh, yeah, we've got the wavy... I got, I, the wavy dudes was the best. The wavy dudes, <laughs> yeah. Like that, yeah. That day was mental. I drove from London, right? So I drove from West London to Essex, which is east, and then to collect this kind of big, wavy, flatable arm boo man thing. <laughs> and the guy was asking, what's this for, mate? And I was like, um, my roundabout. Okay, mate, totally <laughs> normal. Have a good day. Um, and so I then went from there to the roundabout and then went back to Essex to, to give back the uh, the rented um, uh, man, inflatable man. So, yeah, I had a big old uh, opening ceremony and then that was about it. <laughs> and you, got, you got a celebrity, didn't you? I did. And this, is, this is really <laughs> awkward. So I found out that the, the roundabout that I bought was next to a house owned by Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen, the famous interior designer. Now... When I found this out, so I, we did the, the kind of quote unquote opening ceremony where we kind of like did it, did a whole silly thing. I said, Oh, I've now pronounced this roundabout open, blah, blah, blah. This woman walks, walks up to me and she goes, She just starts asking just questions about what I'm doing. Um, and uh, she, she goes, um, Do you know who Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen is? And honestly, if I'm honest, I didn't know who Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen is. I know, oh, I know. I know subsequently, um, the, I'm in that club. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, so I then said to her, uh, no, well, oh, no, I lied to her. I was like, yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, I love Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen. <laughs> and she said, well, that's my dad and this is his house. Um, wow. Can he come out and say hello? So in the meantime, when she went to go get her dad, I then fiercely Googled Lawrence Welling <laughs> to find out everything I knew about him. Um, and he came out and was kind of very kind of showbiz about the whole thing. He was wearing the most outrageous, like full leather jacket, trench coat vibes. And he just asked me what I was doing. And I was like, I don't really know. What are you doing? Um, and we just had this kind of very bizarre kind of three or four minute interaction. And then I left. But it was a perfect example of, kind of doing videos that suddenly have this whole extra element of something weird happening when you're doing it that you can possibly imagine. Do you know, I have this vision of, you know, with her saying, oh, can he come out and say hello? I have this vision of him, like, peeking out the curtains and sending his daughter out and saying, go and, go and find out if I can go yeah. out and say I love hi. Like a little school by mummy. Can I go play yeah. around about, please? Can I come out and, uh, and see what this guy's doing? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that was a... a you know, that was a, a really good video. And like I say, it was kind of my introduction to you as well. Um, do you think that was a bit of a launching point for you? Because did you did you offer it to Will and E? Yeah, I mean, the, 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 I offered it to Will and E purely as a kind of a way to drive, like, growth. It was, it was a little, like, I had the video and it just happened to be that he was doing a whole series in which he was trading things. And so... It, it suddenly lent itself to be part of that video. But I only, I only really, if I'm honest, I did that because I thought, oh, this would be able to get him involved and he'll talk about it. So there'll be an opportunity for that new eyeballs. Um, I mean, that is such a blatant way of kind of like growth, like, hey, Will, watch this. Um, but he did end up seeing it. But I think he's slightly like not, he's, he hasn't completely like, put that to one side but he's definitely decided to take a break from this whole trading series so i actually didn't get what i wanted from from him really actually no i did he spoke about it in one of his second channel videos um but it was that was more kind of a, a way of kind of hopefully getting the video seen by a new audience and i guess it's worked if claire you've you watched it um, yeah absolutely but i also it did it did great in it's just kind of own right on the algorithm and with notifications and stuff like that because it was something a little bit new and really never done before so that helped massively yeah um so will i think said he was going to contact you and he didn't but is there a, another interested buyer there is yeah yeah so will did, <laughs> will did contact me he was like yeah great video loved it i'm i'm kind of taking my time on the training video thing so if you want to kind of do something with it in the meantime go for it don't feel like you are um committed to me um, and then Jack Massey Welsh, who has a, who has a, a YouTube channel where he does create some, some really bizarre stuff, which I absolutely love. But one of the things is he collects loads of YouTube plaques um, for 100,000 subscribers and a million and 10 million. So he 
the award plaque that you get given. Um, he said that he'd love it. So I then made a video recently saying, would you like to, would you like to buy it from me? Um, the problem is, the problem is I've got is that I've re- I need to remember that I don't own it. So I can't, I can't just go out there and say, guys, here, who wants my roundabout? Take it. Because <laughs> the parish council will then message me like, what the hell are you doing? Stop now. And um, so I've got to be quite careful. So we are working on something. I'm working on something with Jack in which I can kind of give it to him for a bit and then we'll see. Yeah. So Jack, Jack's got massive amount of followers. I think he's like, yeah. he's... He's what, one point Tesla man, isn't he? Yeah, he's got like one yeah, point four yeah. million subscribers. He's got about eight channels. I mean, and yeah. ranging from one point four million to about one hundred and fifty thousand. So, yeah, he and and he can put a channel up, can he? With like literally, do not subscribe to this. Yeah, and he recently, people will just sub to it. Yeah, he recently got a call from Mr. Beast. He said. Uh, Jack, there is a there's a channel here that's got no videos. Um, for every person who subscribes to it, I'll give you one cent. So, what getting one million subscribers would be a hundred thousand dollars. So he's got he's managed to get the channel up to like seven hundred and fifty thousand subscribers, um, wow, which equates to seventy five grand for him. <laughs> I think he's 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 kind of divvying up the money to various charities. That's his new. Like that. oh, I was going to say, I thought it was his, his new car bought. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. his new Tesla. Um, yeah, so he's kind of a master of taking kind of various different uh channels and getting them to to grow to big big sizes with various like seemingly like zero um zero videos so do you think there's a possibility of a crossover there between you and jack yeah i mean um we have spoken about it a bit then again i have to say like i can't say to him you have it for the rest of the year so I've got to be quite careful. I think what we'll do is I'll probably lease it to him for a month. <laughs> so he'll, <laughs> he'll have it for a month. Yeah, I know. Um, so, yeah, so we've um, talked about other YouTubers that you've potentially worked with. You went for a walk with Robbie. Um, are there any other crossovers that you have in mind? Is, uh, or are there any YouTubers that you want to collaborate with? It's um, a great question. I I don't, there's, there's not one in particular that I'm like, I would love, well, there's, there's loads of YouTubers that I love watching. I would love to be in a video with them, but I don't really have a video idea that would work for them. Um, so, I mean, I'm a big fan of Yes Theory. I think they're absolutely great. There's an Australian um, YouTuber who posts like once every three or four months called Bo Miles. Um, and I would recommend anybody to watch his stuff, like really great storytelling. Um, he's called Bo Miles. Um, so no, there's not this, there's not one person in particular that I'd love to collaborate with, but I would just love the opportunity to work with YouTubers that I just enjoy watching. Cause it's such a cool experience. Like doing the happy hour podcast was one of the, the my coolest kind of YouTube experiences. Cause I was a fan of the podcast. And so being able to sit in the mm. studio and look around and be like, Oh, that's the camera angle. That's the camera that films my shot. That was just such an awesome experience. <laughs> and how did that come about? Did you approach them or did they approach you? Um, the, Happy Hour podcast came about because I had been, Jack had very kindly put me in, he had a second channel that was <laughs> that made videos for about three months last year. And um, he put me in a video, I think, of like top his top five small YouTubers under kind of 200,000 subscribers. Um, and I think the boy John was also in there as well. Um, yeah. And so he like, I was, I was in that video and I, I messaged him up and I was like, thank you so much for putting me in. He was like, yeah, no problem, man. We must get you on like on the podcast soon. Like that was a classic one of like, uh, I didn't know whether he meant that or whether he was just being nice. Um, and I think what did help was that I, um, Zach and Jay had been on the Happy Hour podcast previously. Um, and so there was that association there and I've done a lot of work with them before. before. And I just got a message from Jack saying, do you want to come in? I was like, uh, yes, please, I'm there. So yeah, it was a great opportunity. And uh, so how was the whole experience for you? Did you just uh, turn up and, and enjoy it? Yeah, it was it was awesome. Like, because I'm such a big fan of it, like seeing, being in the chair and like seeing the camera that is used, um, being on the other side of it, basically, was just such a, like a, was such a cool experience. Um, and the, the studio itself is actually really small and it gets super hot. Um, and so they ha- it was in like July as well, so it was height of summer. So we had to kind of, constantly dip in and out for breaks um but yeah it was just such a cool experience and like was really was it was much more kind of polished than I thought it was going to be um like it did feel like you were kind of properly stepping into uh, a kind of professional radio like station so that was really really cool 
Yeah. And, and you mentioned the boy John there um, as one of Jack's shout outs. Mm. Um, so Robbie has his uh, walks and the boy John has welly wangling. So yeah. <laughs> would you consider welly wangling with John? Welly wangled. I've already welly wangled. Welly wangled. I did it. I did it outside. Um, Forgive me. I did it outside. No, it's fine. I did it outside. <laughs> I took him to a, to a prison. Um, I live quite close, to a, <laughs> quite close to a prison, and in like in London, it's the only place that's got loads of like greenery. So we 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 wanged some wellies um, whilst uh, looking out on Wormwood Scrubs Prison. Nice. He won, unfortunately, oh. which really upset me because I kind of <laughs> like to think of myself as quite a sporty person. But no, he wanged better than I did. <laughs> Rematch after lockdown. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. <laughs> Um, so in terms of your channel then, uh, we've discussed quite a lot about the, you know, the creation of it and how it's progressed. Uh, where do you see it going forward? Oh, God, I have no idea. I really, I really <laughs> have no I just And I don't, I don't think that YouTube is, is old enough for, for us to be able to have a good idea. Like, there's a part of me that wants to use it as a platform to springboard into the mainstream media. But then I'm thinking, hold, hold on, like... There are very few mainstream media channels or shows that are getting the same numbers that YouTubers are getting. So yeah, yeah. why would you why would you kind of seemingly upgrade for a smaller platform other than there being this kind of still this like social kudos about TV show? But there's just something about like me saying to my parents, oh, mum and dad, I've got myself a TV show. Then there is saying, oh, mum and dad, I got this many views last year so mm-hmm. weirdly it's kind of this like social pressure that kind of is driving me towards mainstream and also kind of nostalgia like to be able to be on the telly that I watched as a kid would be such an awesome experience um I uh, do, do you want to get I really don't know um I am acutely aware though of kind of burnout in YouTubers like it is something that I've both experienced and seen firsthand so I want to be able to keep doing this for as long as possible without it becoming really detrimental to to my mental health, really. Because as you as we spoke about it, we jokingly spoke about it at the beginning of the podcast, like the the way that numbers work, it sounds very stupid, but they are literally never ending. Mm-hmm. And the yeah. goalposts goalposts change for you all the time. Like I used to think, right, when I hit ten thousand subscribers, I'll be happy because I would have proved to me myself to be a good YouTuber. I hit ten thousand. I was happy for a day. Then it was a hundred thousand. When I hit hundred thousand, yeah, then I'll be happy. Then I'll be feeling like I've done my job and I'm a proper YouTuber now. Hit a hundred thousand? No, no, it needs to be half a million. And <laughs> it, uh, from people I've spoken to, it doesn't change. It literally does not change depending on whether you've got ten million subscribers or ten subscribers. Um, and so that is a part of YouTube that I'm acutely aware of um, and and quite quite afraid of actually. Yeah, at least you're aware of it, though. Yeah, but I don't think, don't think it makes it much better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but you mentioned earlier on um, stand-up comedy. Yeah. Do you think that's, that's a route that maybe you could... Yeah, I, I, I was going to suggest maybe, like, the, there'd be elements of that you could introduce within, you know, within a stand-up routine. Yeah. That potentially covers all bases, and you could potentially change Correct. a little bit of the way that some stand-ups done isn't in, yeah, in yeah. a way couldn't you i think yeah. I, and that's definitely i'm i'm really i i've always wanted to do stand-up mainly because i'm a massive show off and i want everyone to be looking at me <laughs> um but also just kind of like the experiences that you have with stand-up like the the opportunity to to make people in a room that are in front of you laugh is i feel like in the, in the what 15 stand-up shows i've done is so much more powerful than making a video that bangs or yeah. that does really yeah. well because like, there's that instant reaction. Um, and it, it, I, in my opinion, it's not being done enough by YouTubers, mainly because it is a really daunting task and it is scary. But in the UK, I know of very, very few social media creators who have branched out into stand-up. And it seems crazy because there is an audience there that I'm sure will be really interested to come and watch their favourites, like, content creator live so i'm hoping to make that quite normal i've i've got a bit of a, a a grand goal of kind of selling out the shepherd's bush empire in in five years time that's what a 1500 seater um and i've seen some of my favorite bands play there but yeah. i think that as i as i grow i mean Stephen Stephen and will when they did um steven tries and will and e when they did twatty live a couple of years ago that was one yeah. of the, one of the places that they went unfortunately i couldn't go to what i couldn't go to the show i would have loved to um 
but it is it is stand up is something that when we're allowed to i'm going to be going all guns blazing going up and down the country trying to go to as many um venues as i can where are you guys based so we're, we're in Manchester, yeah. and I, I, I wanted to go and see Will, but at the same time, it was a little bit like, for me, I was thinking, am I going to be like the oldest person? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, this is the thing, I don't know um, what my audience is going to be. I don't know whether it's going to be full of, kind you, of like 10-year-olds. You, you could completely repackage like everything that you've done, couldn't yeah. you, as yeah. part of stand-up and, and just have endless material, as well as obviously go out and create new material. That, yeah. Be... So I've been talk- talking about that a lot with the kind of the producer of the show, these guys who guys I went to school with, and they basically, we, we ha- we've spent so long kind of deciding what it's going to be, because I know the people who are going to be coming to the shows want a little bit of the Max Fosh they see on YouTube, but then again, I don't want them leaving thinking, oh, that was just a video that he did on stage. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's been like finding that balance between like, Max Fosh, the YouTuber, and then having stand up in its own entity. And the, the, what we've kind of settled on is something that's quite similar to kind of a Joe Lysett style thing. So yeah. you've got your big screen and you're telling a story. And I might be going behind this. Actually, I, I talk a lot about there's a whole kind of five to 10 minute segment about the AVN awards. So I've got kind of footage that, that didn't really quite make sense in the context of the video, but was great mm-hmm. for stand up. So um, I've kind of uh, I've repurposed that. So it's, a, it's trying to navigate that. Uh, the way that Max Fosh, the content creator, the YouTuber, comes across on stage. Yeah. So one of the things that Paul and I did a while back was a bit of a bucket list, and on the bucket list was stand-up comedy. Shit. Oh, yeah. so, How did that go? Um, so what we've, We've not, not done it yet. Oh, no. <laughs> so, um, so my question to you really is, did you did you do anything in terms of training for it or does it just come naturally to you? How did you go about? I, I did a show like before. I, I didn't want my first show, my first ever time doing stand up to be in front of people that I knew. So I went to a, a, a pub in, I literally typed in online, like um, stand, open mic night to London and got a slot at this really dodgy place in Dalston in East London <laughs> And uh, you were supposed to bring guests with you. Like that's the kind of, that was the kind of vibe of the place. Like pay to play. Yeah, it really was was a pay to play kind of vibe. I didn't bring anyone. And so I got like scowled out the door, but each, each person got five minutes and then basically the whole audience was other performers. Um, And I went up there and I just wanted to just like pop my proverbial cherry on the the comedy front just that night. Because I thought, you know what, once I've done it once and I've died on my ass. Um, yeah. I will kind of up. It's done. I've got it over and done with. So I think I went up in there and, and, and spoke about material I'd literally written earlier that day. Like it was so off the cuff because I knew it was going to be bad. So I didn't. I didn't really think. Right, I'm going to tr- really try here. Let's get it done. And it was a bit of a. It was. It was crap. Like there was a. Um, I've, I've told the story before, but the guy who was before me, just before me was this enormous bloke who was wearing a, a puffer jacket hoodie inside and had been for about two hours. I thought, bloody hell, you must be boiling, mate. But he, <laughs> he walked on stage. He was about six foot five. And he says, just if anybody wants to heckle, just know I'm carrying a knife. And <laughs> it, just caused, it just caused everybody just to say, uh, okay, okie I'm not sure where this guy Sounds is. like a comedian from Manchester, yeah. really, doesn't it? <laughs> He's like, I'm not going to find out whether you are joking or not, but uh, carry on. Um, so, yeah, that was the kind of vibe of the place at Dalston. So that was when, that was me popping my cherry. Guys, play, like, it's the, it's, it is fun to do. It is so much fun to do. So get it done. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. it's, yeah, <laughs> definitely. I think if if one thing that lockdowns taught us is to just just have a stab at different things, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, you know, yeah. just, have, just a, have a laugh with it. It's nothing, nothing uh, professional. Life. Yeah, just just have a <laughs> yeah, have a, have a stab yeah. at it. If you could pick, um, obviously you mentioned um, Joe Lysett, um and obviously I can imagine people like that that you that you potentially you know you like. Mm. Who would you say in, in sort of the bigger area of, of comedy, who are your best stand-up performances in terms of live performances that you've watched? Um, 
whether it's whether it's something we all know because we've we've seen it on DVD or yeah. anything like that, or whether you've just personally witnessed it. There are two. So I, I've, I mean, the, the main, my main kind of inspiration when it comes to comedy is a is a comedian called Bo Burnham, um, who is an American comedian and he does a lot of like musical comedy. So I'm a big fan of musical comedy. So him, Tim Minchin, he's, he's, he's mm. quite well known. I'm a big fan of. But one thing I do really remember about comedy that really um, made me want to kind of do it, just try it, was there is a place in London, and also there's one in Manchester as well called the Comedy Store, which is like one yeah, of yeah. the most famous um, comedy clubs in the world. And on the night that I went, I think I went with my parents or something, it was like we just didn't have anything to do. They had like a special guest on the bill. And it was they do this when there's like a bigger comedian who's trying out new material for like a, a big tour. And so we had no idea who it was, um, but it was Russell Kane. Um, okay. and he came on and I, and I didn't really know much, but I knew that he was a, it was a, quite a famous comedian, but he came on and he was just, he was so amazing. Like he was better than everything. It was, it was a real eye opener to see the difference between kind of gigging comedian who is, is good at what he does and kind of like the next level. And so that really interests me. So watching him live was like, Oh my God, okay, this is, this is, this is when it's been taken to the next level. Um, but growing up, I was a big fan of Jack D as well. My my mum loved yeah. Jack D. He was just his dry sense of humor was great. So yeah, I think my like comedy idols, icons are Bo Burnham, uh, Jack D, um, and the Comedy Store players who are kind of the improv group at the Comedy Store. I really appreciate you coming on this evening. Um, no problem at all. It's, it's been a great insight, and I really like really enjoyed your your company this evening. So. Thank you so much. Is there anything that you would like to say to anyone listening now? Other than listen, <laughs> what you know? would I like within, to within reason, you within know, within reason, <laughs> within reason. Um, okay, if you if you do find yourself at a spare end on in any given January, don't go to the Adult Video Network Awards in Las Vegas. <laughs> okay, that's what I would say to the lovely people of our house. Um, actually, though, you made the most of it because I saw you uh, doing a street smart with all the drunk people in Vegas. <laughs> yeah, no, I've really, I've really thought, yeah, right, if I'm going to get one piece of content, I'm going to get two. Yeah. And we've not mentioned that the one thing we were going to... Have you heard of Brian Harvey from E17? Yes, I have heard of Brian Harvey from E17. That man, I, I saw him. Yeah, so for the context, I was doing a video. Um, I was doing a Street Smart video in Capham Commons just after COVID, and everything that everyone had ever talked about, this is in July, was COVID. So I wanted to do a video in which literally I would talk about anything else. I saw this guy come from afar. He was in a bright orange wife beater singlet. I thought, this is someone I want to talk to. And from the moment he, I asked the question, can I grab you for a quick interview? I thought, oh boy here we go and so he initially went straight into conspiracies like mate we're not talking about anything about covid related let's talk about anything else like yeah do you guys know do you know who brian harvey is from east 17 i thought <laughs> this is a man that i want to talk to and then weirdly i and then about two months later i went to an anti-mask rally in london and i saw him there again i thought oh <laughs> <laughs> there he is everyone out there listening to our house thank you so much uh, make sure that you rate, review, do everything that you can to spread the word. And uh, we'll see you on the next podcast. Thank you, Max, for joining us. Thanks, guys. Speak to you later. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.